Street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Okay, let's get started. Welcome, everybody. I'm here today to talk about women in, and street epistemology and to have a discussion. So with me today, I have several ladies who have graciously been willing to donate their time tonight. And we will talk about some of these things and we'll just go ahead and get going and see what happens here. Um, so let's do some introductions. And here's what I'd like you to answer today. Say your name, why are you here today? And what is your experience with street epistemology? And I'll go ahead and go first. My name is Lisa, and I am here today because I am have been wondering for several months why I don't see more women practicing street epistemology and why it seems to be mostly men. And not that it matters that much, but I'm just kind of curious about why and to see if there's anything that I can do to help more women women um, get involved with street epistemology. So I do have a, a little YouTube channel called The Road to Reflection. I'm just getting started. I'm new at this. And I have a meetup group here in Salt Lake City that we've been doing for a couple of months. And we are getting a little group of regulars going. And it's been a lot of fun to learn and practice together. And so that's my experience with street epistemology after watching a lot of YouTube videos for years, which I hear is pretty common. So that's me. And let's go ahead and go with Jules. You want to go next? Thanks, Lisa. Yeah. Hi. Um, and thank you so much for organizing this. I'm so honored and excited to be among my peers and get to talk about something that I'm super passionate about. Um, so as Lisa said, my name is Jules. Um, I'm here today because I'm a curious lifelong learner. And I think uh, interaction, especially through conversation is the best way to have a real sense of, of, of what we know about things. So I'm excited to be here. Um, I was sharing with Karen a little bit pre-show. Uh, my experience with street epistemology is kind of interesting. Um, I probably heard about it when it first started. Um, with Pete's book, um, his first book, The Manual for Creating Atheists, and then uh, seeing uh, Anthony Math Magna Bosco practice on YouTube. So um, at that time I was a grad student and I ended up writing a pragmatics paper for a linguistics class on street epistemology and the question types used during those interactions. So I used six of Anthony's video interactions on people's belief in karma specifically as to kind of isolate the variable. And so um, I was able to interact with him and several other practitioners as a result. So thanks. Very cool. Yeah. Is that for public? Like if anybody is interested in reading? I can share the link uh, to the Google the Doc. Link. And yeah, okay. I'm more than glad I never published it or anything like that mm -hmm. or uh, have presented it. Uh, but yeah, I feel like once again, intellectual property I'm glad to share. Um, awesome. 
Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Jules. Karen, you want to go next? Hi, I'm uh, so happy to be here. I'm uh, based in um, the western suburbs of Chicago in Wheaton, Illinois. I am here because I'm really curious about street epistemology. I encountered it, a friend pointed it out to me about six months ago, and my immediate reaction was, wow, this could really be helpful having difficult conversations about topics that I usually get emotional about and avoid quickly um, and finding a different approach to asking questions and getting to the bottom of somebody's beliefs rather than jumping into debate and judgment seems just like a really good idea. And um, so I was actually looking for a group of people to connect with here in the Chicago area. So I went on the website and I discovered a German speaking group that meets on Discord. And so I've been practicing street epistemology, mostly listening with this German speaking practice group in the last six months. I actually did my first interview today and it was very much a practice Yay. interview, uh, but I was very excited to get that sort of, to get that under my belt. Um, and um, again, back to why am I here today? I'm really interested in talking to anybody who has a perspective to share about how they're doing it, what they're doing, why they're doing it. And I too have noticed that it's mostly men. And so I'm excited this evening to be able to connect with a group of women who are involved in this um, technique. Yeah, thank you, Karen. That's great. Cheryl, would you like to go next? Sure, I am Cheryl Johnson and I am here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, I just am always very curious about people. Um, and my friend Kevin kind of started this group. And I, like I said, I've run for office a couple of times. I'm interested in doing that again. And I am frustrated with how people can't communicate and agree to disagree on some things. And I just feel like in talking with voters, um, you know, it's like Karen too, you know, sometimes it's like, I just want to get emotional and say, no, you're wrong. Um, but because they don't agree with me, but, um, I just, I want to find out why they believe what they do, um, and what they base stuff on. And if they're basing it on something that yeah, I know to be not factual, maybe I can help them see it uh, rather than come out and say, you know, you're wrong. They have to discover for themselves, um, what the truth is. Um, and so it's just, we meet uh, Saturday mornings here um, and we have probably about half men, half women. It's just a small group of us. And we really haven't gone out in the public to do it yet. We were hoping maybe this summer we can get out and do a few practice things. Um, but I just have always been curious about why people think the way they do. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, thanks. Jenny. Hello. So I'm Jenny, I'm in Portland, Oregon. Um, so I'm a nurse practitioner. I worked in pediatrics for many years and was finding myself um, frustrated with interactions and frustrated with myself at the lack of progress in vaccine related conversations with parents. Um, and this is well pre-pandemic. Um, and then the pandemic came along and really highlighted the vaccine conversation. And I heard a podcast, um, You Are Not So Smart podcast that talked about, had an episode about street epistemology and I just about fell off my chair. 
because I have, I've, I have given um, uh, state and regional level talks on vaccine conversations. I have mm -hmm. read all the literature that I could get my hands on about how to have effective conversations with vaccine hesitant um, parents in particular. And I was not doing, it was not going as well as I wanted it to go. Um, and I, and the medical establishment, I felt like just had not been able to really figure out a way to talk to these folks. And when I heard that podcast, I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> like this might, this might be the secret that I'm looking for to help just open up the conversations um, around this topic. And so I started getting um, deeper, starting watching some videos. I'm not very deep into it yet, but I've watched some videos. Um, interestingly, my, um, ex-husband bought me the book, how to have impossible conversations. And I didn't even know it was a street epistemology book until probably about a month ago. I've, mm. um, I discovered, um, Nathan on the abstract activist, um, channel discovered he was from Portland, like myself. And so we started chatting and he told me about that book. And I was like, Oh my God, that book's on my shelf. <laughs> so I immediately read it, of course. And, um, I'm just so excited as to use this technique as an avenue for opening up conversations and helping uh, people, you know, myself included, learn why we believe what we believe. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I remember the first SE video I saw slash heard. And I was like, wait, that that resonated so deep and so strong, like immediately. That's what I do already. I need to figure out somebody else is doing this. Well, I okay. think too, no. Uh, just to yeah. chime in too, I mean, what Jenny's saying about how she feels like this is so important for her career and the best practices in her field, right? That's how I feel about street epistemology too, as an educator is it's like, it might not be something that I go out and formally do. And it's not like a strict five minute interview that I'm giving, but how am I engaging with people? And how am I, I, I can't remember if it was Cheryl or Karen who brought up that idea of like, I'm just leading the horse to the water. I mean, like, this mm -hmm. is really yummy water, you know, like it's cool and refreshing and, you know, just it's here. If you just want to kind of yeah. hang out for a little bit, you know, I'm going to have a little drink. So anyway, that, yeah. I mean, that's what just really throwing it out me. as an option is important. Yeah. yeah just so people know that this exists. Yeah, for sure. So what is street epistemology for somebody who might be new to it and is just getting into it and stumbles on this video, how would you guys describe street epistemology or what does it mean to you particularly? Does anyone want to volunteer to go first? Somebody does. I'll jump in. Yeah, Karen. So epistemology is the study of knowledge. How do we know what we know? And um, it's actually a philosophical discipline goes way back to classical antiquity and Socrates and Aristotle. Um, calling it street epistemology makes it current because this isn't about writing philosophical treatises and high and very sophisticated analyses of the structure of knowledge. This is actually talking to people about how do you know what you're telling me, you know. And mm -hmm. I was actually just thinking as we were, as we were doing the introductory rounds, 
one of the things that is a problem for me is that I've had these kinds of um, conversations in university seminars and classes where everybody is kind of on the same page. We've all read, read the same articles, so we know what we're referencing and how we're making those references. But when it comes to these kinds of conversations that we have in everyday life, we don't know what people's backgrounds are. And so it's right. actually a good starting point to ask, how did you come to this belief that you have? Mm -hmm. Anybody want to add something to that? Yeah, I, like I would, that. yeah, go ahead. I, I would, I would just say that it's kind of a way to, um, you know, you go out, you talk to people and you help them uh, kind of almost reflect on their beliefs. Because a lot of times people believe something and they don't really know why. And sometimes if you get at the root to why they believe what they believe, you know, they may start to question it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I guess it's just kind of re reflecting on what, what they think. Mm -hmm. And I really like the street part of the street epistemology, just because it makes it like I want it to be accessible to my kids and to my nieces and nephews and and anybody who maybe wasn't taught about how to think about things in school or how to analyze things or what's a good reason to accept something as true. Um, so the street part, I feel like makes it more accessible to a larger crowd rather than you have to be in this academic space where you're studying epistemology, which nobody knows what epistemology even means. Like I had to look it up as a, I mean, I'm not a dumb person, but I, you know, I never heard the term before. So I had to figure out what, it, what does that mean? Cause it's not in my circles, but I think it's really valuable. Okay. Why do you think it's a valuable skill to learn? I, I would say um, to me, it teaches critical thinking skills, not only to those asking the questions, but to those being asked the questions. And I think as those of us who ask, I think it teaches us how to listen to understand instead of listening mm -hmm. to respond. And that's, I find myself a lot of times I'm getting ready to answer their question. And I'm not really hearing them. So I think this slows me down. It gets me to, to listen, to understand why they think that the way they do. So Especially I, I if, think it's, that's, yeah. if it's something you disagree about, particularly uh, exactly. it's, a, it's a good, like, just step back and listen. What about you, Jenny? Why do you think it's a valuable skill? I see it as um, another avenue to engage with people who you have um, uh, disagreements or, or, or at least on the surface at the beginning of the conversation, you, you may not agree. This is a civil way to be able to engage in that conversation. And it seems that we're lacking a lot of civil ways to engage in dialogue these days in our culture. And so this, this can provide a path to that where you can, you know, you can dig deep, find out why they believe what they believe. Maybe you will learn something in that conversation. But at the same time, if you do continue to disagree with them, you're, you're helping to um, unfold for, for the both of you why the person believes what they do and help with that critical thinking and reflection, um, mm -hmm. which can apply to yourself as well. But um, that's something that's very appealing about it to me as, as a, a method to um, handle challenging conversations that's 
polite and civil. Right. Anybody want to add anything to that? Oh, I think that's part of the conversation is really, uh, you know, making me think about how street epistemology is very characteristically, oh, sorry, it's very characteristic, characterized, excuse me, by kind of its goal-driven nature, but what is your goal? Because I think Mm -hmm. I like Jenny's identification of the goal as civility and that desire for civil engagement and knowing that that's going to be, you know, the best route to take when trying to, to have these impossible conversations. And I think, you know, sometimes, you know, street epistemology gets mischaracterized, I feel, as a manipulation tactic because mm-hmm. people misunderstand the goal or maybe people don't they see the goal as being something other than that. So I guess that would be, that was going to be my question before we went yeah. into the second half there was like, uh, is street epistemology always goal-driven or is it once again, more of something that we can just incorporate into how we choose to engage people? Well, yeah, I don't know about you guys, but it seems like each person is who practices it does it for a different reason and I found myself like even with individual people like my goal for this person might be different than this person and like maybe I'm just curious about what they're talking about and like I'm not trying to change their mind I'm not trying to like lead them down a certain path but some people like that is sometimes that is my goal like I have to admit like I feel like their belief system could or whatever this their belief their claim is it could be harmful it could be dangerous and i would like them to not believe that anymore but i don't know can i not say that out loud or like is that no, frowned I upon think, I, don't, I don't know i it's, think it that's just fair. Is. yeah no as long as you're transparent about it yeah yeah i try to be okay let's skip to the next question anybody want to add anything else there why do what does that say why do you think se is practiced primarily by men i think men have more free time (laughs) i think (laughs) i think men have more free time we're 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 busy with everything else of course that's a claim and i what do i base that on yeah just a claim (laughs) that your personal experience the idea of like why do you think men are primarily recording these set interviews and labeling them as street epistemology and mm-hmm. kind of being the face of street epistemology to the rest of the folks who might, you know, be aware of it. So I don't know, that's how yeah. I would rethink the question. Cause yeah, I mean, it's like, I agree with Cheryl a lot. It's like, I'd love to have time to do that, but I'm a full-time teacher and student. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. We have plenty. What I are think your thoughts, part Karen? of it has to do that uh, with the fact that it's also sort of a gadget high um, activity. And mm. I think men are just a lot, I don't know whether they're more comfortable or they are just more interested in dedicating time to playing around with the gadgets <laughs> and fine tuning the recording technology, making sure they have the best mics and the best cameras. Yeah. If you watch like a that. lot of Anthony's like earlier, earliest videos, they are not as polished, but still the interaction there is great. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. A little rough around the edges, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, 
But what, what I'm that. seeing, the, the videos that I've seen are sort of very yeah. sophisticated no, with, the, with the recording technology. And a lot of that could also be related to the fact that we've just gone through two years of doing everything uh, remotely. And so the, the, the technology is readily available. Is that typically a, a men thing versus women thing? Are women not as interested? Like I'm not that interested in the, the gadgets part, even like as a photographer, I never was, I don't want to sit in front of a computer. I don't want to like buy the latest and greatest. I want to be out there shooting. But So I mean, also right from like a pragmatic standpoint, there is a power dynamic, right? Because if you were to look at, you know, if we were to look at like a chunk of SE videos, how many exchanges is the interlocutor a woman and, or a female and not a male? Or, um, mm -hmm. you know, what gender is the person as the interlocutor? And what percentage of people, like, you know, I don't know if I just think about it, feels like Anthony, at least when he's out on the jogging trail, and it might just be the time of day once again. I mean, it's very much a convenience sample, right, that they're catching in these public places. So, I don't know. It's very interesting. Right. I'm sorry. I'm probably being. Do you, do you think it's more more men than women interlocutors too? I don't know. What do you guys think? I my initial thought is it's about it's 50, kinda, 50 yeah, but I, I maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm trying to remember. So in the six videos that I looked at on Karma, which of course once again, mm -hmm. right, is the belief that you're talking about, right? Once again, is that like genders more? you know, gender specific than another. And I think there was, it was like two to four, like two, two male, four women. So once again, do, do women favor a belief in karma more than men or hold it more strongly based yeah. on these conversations? So I mean, there's so much to learn. And so, but once again, I just think about the power dynamic, right? So there's a guy in a public space covered in gadgets or he's got his little booth, you know, his like cool little tripods you know, and like, microphones yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah, you know, his little tent and water for everyone to drink. I mean, you know, banners. it's awesome. Well, I, like, I, go ahead. Oh no. Anyway. So that would be my thought, you know, is yeah. like, how is the interlocutor and what is the power dynamic between them and the S year, but. Um, yeah. What were your thoughts, Cheryl? Um, I was yeah, just going to say, I agree with Karen a little bit in that I, technology is not my strength. I mean, I can talk with people and kind of do this a little bit, but I would be very uncomfortable having to film it and tape it and all that stuff. That's just not my strength. Um, and it's really weird because women supposedly are the better communicators out of the two sexes. And I don't know if that's because, um, you know, we just, practice it more or what. Um, but I kind of wonder if there's not anything about the safety factor, just in that, you know, men are maybe feel more safe going out on their own in public. Whereas women, you know, sometimes that can be dangerous if you're out in a strange place and don't know people, um, depending on where you go. I mean, he kind of has done it some places where there's other people around, but, you know, there might be something to that too, that women just don't feel comfortable approaching strangers. You know, we've had it in, drilled in our head all the time growing up, you know, don't talk to strangers and stranger danger and all that stuff. And I think there's a little bit of that in women. So we're a little reluctant to go up and speak to people we don't know. Mm -hmm. I've definitely come across that. Yeah. Jenny, go ahead. 
Um, so buried within this question is the claim, right? Um, the question is, why do you think SE is practiced primarily by men? And the claim is that SE is practiced primarily by men. And I don't know that we know that for sure. It sounds like what you guys are referring oh, to is our videos. The videos. On, mm -hmm. on YouTube, not, not necessarily. The public practicing the public, of it. You know, yeah. there's, there's some, you know, and are we talking about, um, street epistemology, very refined, like a certain thing, or because there's probably lots of people just out there on main street that are talking to people that may be practicing street mm -hmm. epistemology and not even know it. Right. Um, right. so those things are coming up for me. So I'm, I'm not sure that, that we know that SE is practiced primarily by men. I think that that would be something to delve into. Certainly there's a predominance of YouTube videos by men on SE. Right. Good point. And that's probably exactly what I was thinking when I'm formulating the question is you click on street epistemology videos on YouTube and there's, there's a couple by uh, where the interviewer is a woman, but uh, I don't know if I've even watched those to be honest. <laughs> I have but, a couple other thoughts on the, on the question ahead. as well. Yeah. Um, one of them just came up as we were talking, and that is there's a lot of focus on this whole aspect of rapport building in, mm -hmm. the, in, in teaching the technique. And I find myself wondering sometimes, isn't that something that women just are more intuitive about? Which could also be a claim, but aren't aren't women generally socialized to be always rapport building and sort of having those feelers out for how people are feeling and whether they're connect whether we're connecting with them in a positive way? So that that was one thing, and where maybe one of the reasons for the predominance of men is that they're seeking an environment where they can actually study that and practice that. Mm -hmm. The other thought I had was. Um, since this technique is sort of derived from, derived or associated with atheism, are there more, are men more, have a more tendency to be atheists than women do? Is that part of what this Maybe like more about? active in the atheist activism world where it does come up more often? That For could sure. Be. That's a great point. But the gender stereotypes might definitely have something to do with it, right? Like most of the people who go into teaching elementary school age kids are women or social work women, like these communication heavy therapy, mm -hmm. a lot of them, mm -hmm. a lot of women. Nursing. Nursing. <laughs> yeah, to just so. answer Cheryl's question, I, women are somewhat known to be more communicative in that we use more words per day. Mm -hmm. right than men technically like like quantitatively and that to to go to karen's point about rapport building and yes right there's there's a lot of gender differences and once again right like is that is that male street epistemologist talking to a female interlocutor going to build rapport differently because of that person's gender or not um or if it's you know men and men talking if it's if it's you know gonna result in that same thing but um yeah I definitely say uh one one aspect of the study I did I looked at the rapport building questions and 
yeah, so um, it's it's interesting stuff for sure. But and it's definitely a crucial element to SE, regardless of how overt or subtle it is in the interaction. Yeah, I definitely second that. If you have good rapport, you can kind of push a little bit harder than you would if it, if you're a little mm. bit walking yeah. on eggshells. What is what Pine Creek Doug calls cashing in his social credit. Cash <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> Sounds good. It, any uh, final thoughts on this one before we skip to the next one? We good? Okay, moving on. Okay. Are there any unique concerns or benefits for women in SE? Like we kind of talked about that just with the last question, right? Safety is a concern. I felt that like as I'm starting to go out in public and do it, like I, there's, and I'm not real familiar with the city here, so I'm not sure, I'm very hesitant. I don't want to. I don't want to go out by myself a lot of times, um, yeah. just because I don't, I don't know. But any other concerns besides safety that you guys can think of? Well, I mean, once again, right, there's still that kind of nagging criticism of, you know, what is your intent for using SE on, on this individual person? And so once again, in your rapport building, how are you connecting with that person to make sure that they're in a good place to deconstru deconstruct beliefs that might, you know, be trauma traumatic to them and they're not even aware of how it has affected them and stuff. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say it's unique to women because I think anyone recovering from religion has, you know, baggage and a lot of stuff to work through in an individual way. And so once again, it's like, I always just want to acknowledge the fact that SE can appear that way and always just use that as a way to kind of keep it grounded um, mm -hmm. and, and stuff. But that would be the only other concern I could think of. Yeah. Jenny, what were you going to say? Um, I was thinking of a benefit that, that I have found, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, one of the ways that I'm seeing useful for SE in my life is a way to handle challenging conversations because I've had challenges handling mm -hmm. challenging conversations. And, um, I tend to, I would probably be described by a lot of people as an, um, assertive woman, direct um, and of course, there's the the more negatively dark side view that people have of the B word or whatever, you know. So for me, this is a route to still be able to engage in those conversations, um, but not be, you know, might not be able to be misconstrued as as too challenging for them. Trying to be overly domineering or something. <laughs> Is it Jordan Peterson or somebody that says women are more agreeable or something? Then have you heard that? I might just be making that up, but makes sense if you looked at the population. And yeah. and I know like in religion, I was taught as a woman to, you know, give my authority and my opinion over to somebody else and to trust other people and not listen to my own. So I wonder if that could factor into it as well, like just being timid or don't want to be judged for being a, a difficult outspoken 
feminist or something, trying to stand up for what you believe or what you think is right. Yeah, Lisa, I would agree with that. I think it maybe gives us a lot of confidence in that we mm-hmm. learn how to handle challenging um, conversations instead of just agreeing or just being quiet because we don't want to. That's a good a fuss, point. Yeah. Know. I think that's the power of it being a question because then you can really be honest with the person and be like, this is my question. And if you want to honestly address it, I appreciate it, you mm-hmm. know, and just being really like, you know, I'm just gathering information at this point, if you want to contribute. <laughs> yeah. Cause I know for a lot of years, I'd be like, I disagree with this person, but I can't debate. Like I'm too, I get scared. I panic. I freeze up. Like, I don't want to be the contentious one because that's, you know, of the devil. And I just, so, but I can ask questions now. So, and just be sweet and kind and curious. I get curious instead of getting argumentative or combative. So maybe that's a benefit or something. Anything else you want to add to this one? Or should we move on? We good? Okay, moving on. How can we encourage more women to get involved with street epistemology? So what it says, yeah. How can we get more women involved? Uh, meetings like this is my hope to get more women involved, to just get the word out so people will see women are doing this and it's okay. And we don't have to be perfect at it. We're all learning and growing together. Yeah, representation matters. When you representation see people, matters. People yeah. like you doing it, it makes mm-hmm. sense that you could do it too. Yeah. I'm really interested in getting um, an in-person group together and I'm hoping and, and uh, some of what you all have shared kind of confirms that, that that's a great week way of getting women engaged more likely than sort of through the, through the YouTuber community Mm -hmm. online. I also, I also find actually in my, in my German speaking group, there's a fair number of women that participate in some form or another. Um, But I do notice sort of the discrepancy, the guy, the the guys have their camera on, the women are usually hiding behind their discord avatar. (laughs) Why would that be? For me, for the longest time, it was just a technological issue because I couldn't have my camera and my audio on at the same time. At the same time. <laughs> but, um, I, I don't know whether that's the case for some of the others. It might just be sort of, um, I don't know if it's shyness or something else motivating it. Yeah. I know somebody who has like a Zoom dysmorphia, like can't see herself <laughs> accurately. She thinks she looks horrible on camera. So I don't know if that's like a, common thing but it must exist maybe a self-conscious thing maybe that men don't have as much as women that could be uh <laughs> they don't care <laughs> run their thing okay good let's go i don't know i mean for me once again like street epistemology is so much more of like a lifestyle and like an overall conversational approach that i use in my multiple kind of, you know, life roles that like, I mean, I feel like I encourage it because I, I'm fortunate enough, uh, I get to help people get their GED. And so a lot of my students are women. And so if I can 
like you were saying, like if I can teach them how to identify claims and evaluate evidence supporting or even identify if there's evidence supporting these claims, like mm -hmm. to me, like that's my goal. Like we were saying, you know, it's like not only do I get to, you know, exercise my critical thinking by engaging these learners, but that's, you know, what once again, I hope that they can become equipped with by being a learner in my class. So, I mean, yeah. I think when we think about how do we encourage women? Well, I mean, it sounds like Jenny's, you know, fighting that fight from her end too. And I think that, and, and Cheryl as well with your public service and stuff, Karen, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with what you do, but anyway, that's where I see it growing. And as much as it is like a, a, a formalized interview with like different techniques and stages and steps that you can kind of look at, for me, I've, I feel like it's more internalized and it's more holistic and it's how I want to engage with everyone and with the world in general. So yeah, um, just in your daily conversations and having that uh, question asking mindset, like that'll be a good example to the people you talk to every day. And they're yeah, like, Hey, she's asking just these questions. Let's rush to emotion, but let's get to the heart yeah. of this and just, yeah. Engage. How can we do that? Yeah. What other thoughts do you have? Karen, I feel like you were going to say something. Not really. No. Thank you, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for checking in. My yeah, feelings I, lead me astray. I, I would say too, maybe, you know, just have small groups of women get together kind of for coffee or something and just kind of explain this. Um, I know where I live, we started a progressive women's group in my part of town because um, when people think of South Dakota, they don't think of progressive stuff. So, and there's a lot of us that are progressive here and we're, you know, a lot of them want to help my campaign, but they don't feel comfortable talking to people. So I want to kind of share this with them and just the whole thing about, you know, asking questions, you know, you're just asking them and then, you know, if you can always back away, but try to, mm -hmm. to understand the claim and asking him, you know, well, how do you know that claim is true? Are you 100% sure? Where do you base it from? Just little things like that. Um, but I think it would give a lot of them confidence um, just to, to put their beliefs out there too. Uh, because so often people, you know, they're clamped down and say, oh no, you can't, that's terrible to believe that and stuff. And, you know, they have a right to believe what they want. So I think they should learn how to question other people. So. Absolutely. I love the idea of getting involved in women's groups and just sharing mm -hmm. and just being that example. Okay. Next question. We good? What personal successes? We only have seven questions, so we're almost done. What personal successes have you had using street epistemology? Anyone want to go first? I can share as much as I had my first formal official interview today. Today, I um, I feel like I've already incorporated some of the principles and the practices into conversations with people, um, and I do find that it takes the edge out of some of the conversations where I might have before become more. Con confrontational. And if I'm just asking, so what makes you think that way? Tell me more about why you're, why you're making that claim, why you're making that argument. It just opens up a different kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I, I, I appreciate that because then actually one also gets to know people better without, I, f- I find it can be hard to um, get to know how people think without giving up my own perspective. And so this, this, this technique is allowing me to sort of better keep my distance while also allowing the other person to have the belief that they have and explain how they got to their conclusions, how, how they got to their belief. And one other thing that I want to share is that I, I just find it so um, exciting how this methodology opens me up to thinking about my own everyday beliefs. And I mean, one of the practice interviews about um, we had at my practice group was my dog about the claim, my dog loves me. And before we knew it, we were getting like way in deep about um, is that even a legitimate statement to make or is that anthropomorphizing the dog? And it's really, if you start at a very basic everyday belief, you can, you can go very deep if you really take the methodology seriously. And that's one of the things I love about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Thanks, Karen. Cheryl, what successes have you had? Um, you know, I haven't done a whole lot just in public in general. We kind of practice in our little class, but I have used it a little bit on a few relatives um, mm-hmm. just in, in the couple first basic questions like, oh, well, that's an interesting thought. You know, what made you believe that or why do you think that way? And, um, you know, they say they got it from a source. Do you find that source to be uh, um, a credible source and stuff. And um, so I haven't, I'd like to use it more. Um, I just haven't yet, but I've, I'm learning. Yeah, no, that's great. I think with family members is a whole different topic that we need to get into as well, because that's different than very, like emotional. It, it almost needs a different name besides street epistemology, because it's not on the street at all. You're not using it with strangers. So it's a slightly tweaked technique I feel like that could use a little fine tuning and maybe a different name but it's same ideas I guess right Jules how about you kitchen table epistemology yeah (laughs) I like that (laughs) well it's interesting that you guys talk about that because yeah one of my most recent SE exchanges was with a coworker, and so Mm. um trying to understand their electromagnetic hypersensitivity was a real challenge for me and trying to understand how that would impact our shared learning environment and how I felt like I was being forced to make adjustments for something that I wasn't sure it was actually existing. And so I mean, we see it with family and it's kind of a contentious place, but there's other places. And once again, it's like, I don't know if it felt like a success, but it was that time of like, when I kind of realized what the claim that was being made and stuff, I was like, okay, I think we need to back up and kind of unpackage this with this person. And I guess try to understand, but I mean, yeah, it was, it, really just helps with that self-reflection so I think and co-workers we spend so much time with them every day Mm -hmm. like it's really needs to 
yeah, not yeah. differentiate between family, yeah. sometimes more with your coworkers than family members. Because mm-hmm. then once have... again, yeah, where's the threshold? Like how much accommodation right. do I need to make before I feel like I need to also make a stand? Because you don't want to push have... too many buttons, but you know, yeah, kind of got to stand up. Yeah, it could get really tricky. Jenny, how about you? Do you have successes? Uh, I haven't done any formal SE yet, um, but uh, I, as I said, I finished that book, been watching videos and, and I absolutely feel like it's creeping into my conversations already and improving them drastically. In fact, how about think, I work with uh, patients? Um, I haven't used it um, on patients yet. I will say I am, I'm get, I'll get there soon. Um, I'm work, I work in an emergency room right now and it's extremely fast paced. And so I'll have to figure out how I can do it quickly, but, but I will. Um, but I've been starting with neighbors. I live in a, um, a co-housing community. It's basically like a condominium community, but we like run it self-managed. So there's a lot of interaction with the people here and I've, um, there's been a lot of conflict. And so I'm talking with some people just in the past week that has come up for me about how I've used SE in a way that I felt uh, or used techniques like just curiosity or just Mm -hmm. continuing to ask questions about how they arrived at the certitude that they've arrived at about something. Um, And I have found that it tempers me. So I'm not just blurting out why I think they're wrong or need to rethink it in this other way, you know, like sounding like that. Um, so it tempers me, this approach, and it then tempers them as well, because if I'm tempered, they're more likely to be tempered. And I've had the experience of people backing down from intense certitude, just based on my approach with them. Not in it's almost like they're expecting a, a combative situation. So they're on guard. Yeah, exactly. But then when I'm like, well, tell me more. And, you know, how did you arrive to think that he would do that? And have you thought about the possibility of this? And, you know, those sorts of questions, it, it changed the um, dynamics of the conversation in a positive way for both parties. Right. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And I guess we didn't really define what success means. And it could be different for different uh, situations too, right? So I, I was thinking for me, my personal success with street epistemology is just using it on myself and just being able to ask myself, why am I doing this? What is this? What I, is this the right thing to do? Do I have good reasons to keep doing this? And just learning the techniques and using them on myself and, and probably like on my kids and uh, just teaching them how to ask the questions, I think is my favorite part about it is just understanding mm-hmm. how to ask the questions. Mm-hmm. Hey, if we have any closing thoughts or comments we want to add, we are winding down here. I think this has been a really interesting discussion. If, if there's anything that I've left out or missed that you feel like we need to talk about or should be brought to light, I'm totally open to hearing what you have to say. I definitely echo your sentiments. This has been a very enjoyable conversation. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, yeah, so let's just go around and say goodbye, each person by themselves, and do a plug for if you have something to plug, go for it. Whatever you're working on, whatever is next in your adventure in life, go ahead and say that before we 
close out the meeting. Um, let's start with Jules. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah. So wait, what were we supposed to do? Just close out and plug ourselves. Final That's thought. Right. Final, Final thoughts. Um, yeah. Um, thank you for reminding me. And I tried to listen through that whole thing. Clearly epically failed. Um, no, I'm just excited by this opportunity. And yeah, I mean, um, keep asking questions, keep keeping cordially curious. And I think that is going to be the key to changing minds. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, I don't really have anything to plug at this time, but I will, I will give you the link to my paper if anyone wants to read my paper on SE and you're welcome to contact me um, to, to engage more with what I did, uh, my scholarly efforts, I guess. So. Yeah, definitely. We'll put that in the link below the video. Thanks for being here today, Jules. Really appreciate your input. Cheryl. Um, I just want to say thank you for everybody. It was wonderful to meet you. This was a lot of fun knowing there's other women out there that are curious about how people think. Yeah. Um, my campaign is Cheryl for South Dakota. If you're bored, you can check it out. If you want to donate, go ahead. <laughs> cool. I'm, we're trying to, we're trying to turn South Dakota blue, but it's, it's a big challenge, but, um, we'll see. Can we put a link in the comments for that as Absolutely. well? Absolutely. I can, yeah. I can put something on the chat if you want. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Good luck with that. Thank that you. Sounds like a lot of fun. Very cool. Thank you, Cheryl. Appreciate your input too. Jenny. Yeah, it's been great to meet and talk with you all. I hope that um, this, this sort of gathering can continue. Um, something someone said um, a couple of minutes ago made me remember how I'd used this with my 14-year-old son as well, doing an outsider um, test on a claim that he had made. And I actually sent off an email to the school. Um, he'll be starting high school next year, wondering about starting in a street epistemology club at the school. If anybody knows of any you know, uh, you know, middle or I have a middle schooler as well, middle or high school people who are doing a club such as street epistemology, I would love to chat with them and see because I think kids are so open and receptive and they were working on a curriculum, Jenny, I know, I don't know if they had a, like a club, but I know they're working on like lesson plans and stuff. Love or that kid. idea. Uh, I believe so. Uh, I can't remember now. It probably could be as applicable to kids as high schoolers as adults anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, in the Facebook group, there were folks working on different kinds of learning modules and stuff that you could at least use as a framework potentially. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the street epistemology course, I think module one is oh, ready yeah. for testing at this point. That's so right. go to the street epistemology website and you can get the information to do that there. And let's get some clubs going in high schools. I think that's a great idea. That would be super fun for kids mm -hmm. to learn. Yeah, thanks for coming today, Jenny. Mm -hmm. Thank you all. Fantastic. Karen. I just want to thank all of you for being here. And Lisa, I want to thank you for putting this together. This has been wonderful. Mm -hmm. and My pleasure. I hope, I hope we do this again. My next threshold, and it's probably not a short or even midterm plan, but I really would love to get a group of people together here in Wheaton or in the um, Chicagoland area to get together once a month or so and just do in-person practice groups. Because I really, I mean, Jules, you probably know all about this, but I really think something different happens when people meet in person than when they meet online. And I would love to 
do street epistemology in the in-person setting. Um, and your German anybody, group is all online only completely online. Okay. They're doing an in-person meeting later this year, but I won't be able to travel to Germany for the uh, occasion. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> yes. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, if anybody has tips or suggestions for putting together an in-person group, I would greatly appreciate that. Yeah, I think uh, one of the meetings I want to do in the near future is for people who are like you, who are thinking about putting a group together, because like I have a couple months of experience now, like I know what doesn't work. So I can like share <laughs> that at least um, and then gather ideas and share tips and tricks and and all of that. I think that would be really useful because I would love to see it grow and have more groups. And especially now we can do stuff in person again. So we need to get that going. Yeah, I'm sorry I interrupted you, Karen. Go on. No, no, it's perfect. Perfect timing. I'm I'm good, and thank you again. Okay, cool. Yeah, and um, I guess I have my channel, The Road to Reflection, on YouTube, and people can go there and watch my the couple of little videos I've got going. Um, they are not great, but I just decided to get started. Start where you're at, and then it can only go up from there. So yep. that's kind of a where I'm at here and uh, come to our Salt Lake City meetup group. It's on meetup.com called Street Epistemology Salt Lake City and uh, get involved. Just share with your friends and family and learn. And we need more women. So let's keep spreading the word to other women and encourage our friends and family and coworkers to also get involved in street epistemology. The Street Epistemology Podcast is a production of Street Epistemology International. You can donate or learn more about this nonprofit organization at streetepistemologyinternational.org. The views, guests, and topics expressed here, or not expressed here, do not necessarily represent those of the organization. <laughs>